You're listening to How to Succeed in Evil, Crazy Psycho Murder Tree. Chapter 3. The Game is a Hoof. In the darkened room, an intercom crackled to life. Cuthbert, are you awake? It was the voice of Master Warner, and butler that he was, the abruptly awoken Cuthbert had to answer. As he rose from the bed, his joints cracked and popped, as if they were rebel factions skirmishing for control of his aged body. The clock read 3.45 a.m. Cuthbert cleared his throat and then said to the room, Yes, sir, and I don't feel a day over a hundred and three, sir. Then, only after his wit had been tested and found ready, did he reach for the intercom button. But before his finger could reach that button, Master Warner spoke again. And this time, his voice was absurdly low and hoarse. Cuthbert, I need you. The game is a hoof. The first time his master had affected this disturbing voice, Cuthbert had been certain that this foolishness would be quickly stopped by a damaged vocal cord. But this affectation had lasted so long that Cuthbert had resigned himself to living with it. Cuthbert pressed the transmit button, and in his most guarded of butler voices, asked, "'Are you certain, sir?' The begraveled response came immediately. "'Evil never sleeps. Justice cannot wait.' Justice will bloody well wait while I pull on my pants, thought Cuthbert as he turned on the light and gathered his uniform from the valet stand. When he was properly attired, Cuthbert made his way through stately Warner Manor with the aid of a red-filtered flashlight. True, a candle would have been more traditional, but Cuthbert had had his first training in another kind of service and was ever careful not to give up his night vision. He could remember this great house in better days, when it had been filled with people, a center of life and activity. In those days, Bryce Warner had been the little boy constantly underfoot. In some ways, Bryce had never grown up. Cuthbert still addressed him as Master Warner, and the man did not object, even though it was only a form of address appropriate for a young boy. The lack of manners and breeding on this side of the pond had been one of the reasons Cuthbert had been reluctant to seek a position in America. But in England, none of the great houses knew exactly what to do with him. His army service, while commendable, was highly irregular. One was expected to work his way up to the position of butler. But where would someone of Cuthbert's years and experience begin? He was too old to be a houseboy, too experienced to be a footman, and no gentleman would take on a valet who was unknown to him, even if he was descended from four generations who had distinguished themselves in service. But in the States, things were different. Here, no one cared about the great traditions of service. It seemed that his accent was the only bona fide he needed. Cuthbert shuddered when he passed what was left of the study. When Jackson Warner had been lord of this manor, the study had been a fine room lined with books, a place where a man might devote his time to contemplation and learning, a place to sort out difficult matters and set them to rights. One of the first things Master Bryce had done after his father's passing had been to install a battery of televisions, and, of course, that hidden elevator to the cave. Cuthbert wanted no part of televisions, and even less to do with the hidden elevator. 
He preferred to walk the long way around. Not only was such a conveyance obscene in this fine room, really, tilting a cat's head statue back to flip a switch, tasteless and absurd. Cuthbert was convinced that if he ever took that pneumatic elevator, it would break and leave him stranded in the bedrock. While he loved Master Bryce dearly, he had no high estimation of the young man's sensibilities. Like as not, Master Bryce would leave him there rather than betray his, quote, secrets to the outside world. So Cuthbert took the servant's stairs, ducked through the massive kitchen, and stepped out into the night. The cold, fresh air of the garden invigorated him, and he felt, if not completely young, at least less old. It was a lovely garden, and with a few hundred years of patient effort in the English tradition, might amount to something after all. On the far side of the garden, he heard the scream of the turbine-powered Lynx-mobile as it roared off down the hidden drive and Master Warner headed out to inflict himself upon a sleeping city. He shook his head and sighed. There were, of course, long-standing precedents for butlers in the service of eccentric masters. Most notably Winston Percival, butler to mad King George III. If ever there was a bastard in livery who had suffered. But really... What else could a servant do but serve? Even knowing all of this, Cuthbert still felt himself a failure for not being able to direct his man into a more regular and productive course of life. By the time Cuthbert reached the cave, he could no longer hear the vehicle in the distance. The main gates were closed and carefully disguised to match the natural rock. But off to the side was a small door with the emblem of a long-eared cat upon it. He had protested, Oh, hath Cuthbert protested that a lynx was not a cave-dwelling mammal, but his protests had fallen on deaf ears, for that idiom had been decided in that first strange conversation years ago. When the father, Jackson Warner, had passed, and the last of the mourners had left the great house, Cuthbert had found Bryce in what had been his father's study. He stood in the middle of the room with perfectly dry eyes, watching one of the new televisions. Cuthbert had asked, Master Bryce, are you all right? No, Cuthbert, I am not. I am a man freighted with density. Cuthbert found the phrase apt enough, so he left it alone, taking full advantage of the custom that a servant should never respond unless asked a direct question. A, a, a density of purpose, I meant. Yes, sir. Uh, Mr. Volp wanted, said Cuthbert, Louis Volpe had taken over as head of Warner Industries when Jackson Warner's health had failed. Bryce Warner had just become the majority shareholder. During the funeral, of course, Cuthbert had overheard the concerns about young Master Warner. What havoc would he wreak with so much power over the company that was his inheritance? Bryce interrupted, I know what Volpe wanted. The patriarchy always wants the same thing. Which patriarchy, sir? The patriarchy, the evil old white men of the world, Cuthbert, whose only desire is to destroy and oppress. Yes, sir, said Cuthbert, appreciating not for the first time how all-purpose that phrase was. So you see what we must do? Yes, sir, and by yes, I mean no, I do not. Don't get cheeky with me, Cuthbert. I want to sympathize, sir, I do. I feel that I have been oppressed by old white men my entire service, Master Bryce. Bryce Warner did not catch the joke, and with surprising intensity he said, 
That's all about to change. I'm about to be oppressed by a young white man, sir. Very well, at least I shan't want for variety. Cuthbert, I am being serious. Cuthbert said nothing, and they both stared at the television screen where a family of snow hares struggled to scrape out a few bites of grass amongst the harsh and unforgiving tundra. Cuthbert hated the way a flickering television screen could capture his attention. It was a weakness of will, plain and simple. Cuthbert wrested his mind away from the nature documentary and said, You are distraught, sir. It is understandable. What with the loss of your father? I am not. If I may confess, Master Bryce, I too was an angry young man, perhaps not with stations such as you enjoy, but I remember the passing of my own father. He was butler at Tarkington House. You never told me you had a father. I'm sorry, sir. I would have thought that went without saying. What I meant was you grew up with a father. Yes, sir, I, I take your point. My father took a long time to die. Never cancer, you see. So take consolation in the fact that your father, at least, did not suffer long. Better if he had, said Bryce. You cannot mean that, sir. His exploitation of his privilege and power has given me my position and your salary, Cuthbert. We may not be guilty, but we are certainly responsible. Responsible for what, sir? Cuthbert, the guilt I have. Oh, the guilt. And to think I knew nothing about it until I went to school. That I could have gone my whole life and not realized what a monster I was. The oppression that has given me my place and my privilege. I must do something about it. You will give up your fortune then, sir? No, Cuthbert, not that. Something important. Something that will make a difference in the lives of the poor and unfortunate of our city. Nothing so quite makes a difference in the lives of the poor like money, sir. Oh, simple Cuthbert, you cannot undo centuries of oppression and colonialism with a few handfuls of sweaty bills. I must become a, a, a device, a standard, a symbol. Yes, something more than a man. I must become a symbol that will strike fear into the hearts of oppressors everywhere. Yes, sir, said Cuthbert. On the television screen, a wild cat pounced on one of the rabbits and tore into the poor creature's stomach while it was still alive. As it hungrily gulped down hot intestines, Bryce said, Yes, the patriarchy shall know fear. I shall slink through the darkness. I shall stalk them where they live. They are, behind all their unearned privilege, a cowardly and superstitious lot. I shall become the lynx. A pussycat, sir. Is that truly terrifying? Question me again, Cuthbert, and I will scratch your eyes out. Point taken, sir. Inside the cave, Cuthbert found the lights to be dimmed to the lowest setting. This was an affectation that always pained Cuthbert, as he was not in the habit of wearing a suit with built-in night vision goggles. Lynx computer, full illumination, he said, respecting himself a little less for having to do it. The Lynx computer responded, I didn't understand that. Full illumination, he repeated. Then he realized he had to start over again. Lynx computer, full illumination. The Lynx computer responded, I don't know what to do with full illumination. Lynx computer, turn on the bloody lights. I didn't understand that. 
Cuthbert strained himself to mimic a neutral American accent. Lynx computer, lights on full. The cave was flooded with light that revealed the damp outcroppings of rocks and unfinished concrete that formed the walls to be even more depressing than the darkness. In the center of the cave was a raised dais with three large screens and a console. On the screens, he could see a camera feed from the Lynxmobile, along with full telemetry from the vehicle and the Lynx suit. As odious as his master's nocturnal habits sometimes were, Cuthbert had to admit his toys were exceptional. And they should be. Warner Industries had spent billions of R&D dollars on their future warrior program. Now it had all been confiscated by Bryce Warner for his Lynx-related playtime. On the screen, he watched the Lynx turn into an alley and park the Lynxmobile. When he got out of the car, he forgot to activate the cloaking device. As the Lynx grapple-gunned his way to the roof, Cuthbert tapped the keyboard and the car blended into the background. This never ceased to amaze Cuthbert, but the soldier in him knew it was just a trick. One day the batteries would fail or the software would crash, and then he feared that Master Bryce would be well and truly in over his head. The Lynx perched atop a building and looked out over the city. He would do this for hours, quote, looking for crime, but in reality he would be ignoring the advanced sensor package that the suit provided him. Cuthbert marked a location on his HUD and said, Sir, it appears there is trouble seven blocks to the west. Through an absurd amount of throat gravel, the Lynx answered, Time that trouble learned what trouble really is. Yes, sir said Cuthbert. With the aid of the suit, the Lynx navigated the rooftops effortlessly. These close-packed tenements had been luxury apartments in the 20s and 30s, but now were the ungentrified slums of a city that had largely forgotten about them. When the Lynx reached the alley, the censors fed him an audio feed. Five stories below, a young couple was being mugged. Without hesitation, the Lynx pounced, with the power of the suit, he had jumped out too far. Halfway down, he clipped a fire escape and spun. The suit took control and dropped itself and its occupant to the ground in a servo-assisted crouch. A cat always lands on its feet, growled the lynx. Cuthbert rolled his eyes. In front of the lynx, three thugs had surrounded a young couple, who looked as if they were on their way home from a gala event. That there was no gala event for miles around did not seem to register with the lynx. He attacked with movements that were jerky and inefficient, but the suit's power compensated for his lack of training. The lynx swatted one of the thugs into a dumpster. Everyone else froze. There's a fiercer predator in the concrete jungle, growled the lynx. Thug number two raised his hands and said, There's been a mistake. I know, graveled the lynx and pounced again. As he pummeled thug number two, thug number three screamed, Oh God, no, please, we're actors, we're just playing a part. Even the elegant couple pleaded on their assailant's behalf. The lynx ground his vocal cords together to produce the words, Blaming others for your problems won't save you. And then he pounced again. Well done, sir, said Cuthbert. And, because they truly were actors, in fact, actors that Cuthbert had hired to play this farce, he added, Best to leave them for the authorities, sir. Uh, fade away into the night, mysterious and heroic. 
The lynx raised his grappling gun into the air, and Cuthbert thought it was going to be the perfect moment. But just then, the actress said, You asshole! Before the lynx could hear anything else, Cuthbert activated the grappling gun, and the suit yanked him into the sky. Cuthbert was able to talk his man back to the vehicle, but he was so morose over being called an ugly name by a damsel in distress, the lynx sullenly refused to drive home. Too many thought rushing through his head, Cuthbert thought uncharitably. And then he remotely piloted the lynx-mobile back to the lynx cave. As Cuthbert helped Master Bryce remove the combat armor, his voice returned to its normal, whinging tone, and he said, All I get to do is stop small crimes. And you should be thankful even for that, thought Cuthbert. A steadily dropping crime rate had made violent crimes against persons very difficult to find in Third City which is why Cuthbert had had to resort to hiring actors. Cuthbert's hope had been that if his master could truly indulge his superhero fantasies, then he might be so tired that Cuthbert might finally get a good night's sleep. But tonight the lynx had been successful in his hunt, and he seemed just as unhappy as before. Why had it all gone wrong? Realizing that Bryce Warner was expecting some kind of a response, Cuthbert said, Sir... It is because you are doing such a good job as protector that our city never truly gets into jeopardy. Bad, truly dangerous men fear you and know to ply their violent trade elsewhere. And so, Third City rests safe in the shadow of the Lynx. As ashamed as he was to have spoken such a bald-faced lie, Cuthbert thought, for the occasion, the speech wasn't half bad. Bryce asked, but where's the challenge? Are there no more villains left to conquer? If you like How to Succeed in Evil, you should support it by becoming a paid subscriber at patrickemclean.substack.com. And if you do, I mean, for the paltry sum of $5 a month, you get to binge the rest of this story right now. I mean, that's a good deal, right? You not only get to satisfy your need for instant gratification, but you get to do so in a way that lets you feel good about yourself while you're doing it. So if you want to wait a week to get the next episode, that's fine. It'll be here right on schedule. But is it the most evil thing in the world to suggest that in these trying times, you deserve a little happiness? It's actually fairly evil. This is marketing, but you should still subscribe.